Coming up, a message from the pulpit of Bethel Primitive Baptist Church in Calabash, North Carolina, by Elder Michael Goins. For information about Bethel Church, please visit our website at BethelPBC.us. Last Friday at Sister Ann's memorial service, I began with a verse of Scripture that's still on my mind this morning. and I want us to try to look at it and consider the implications of it this morning. It's found in the 27th Psalm in the 10th verse, where David says, When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. As you know, this is Mother's Day. Mother's Day is not technically a holy day, a holiday. I mean, it has been designated as such by our secular culture, and I think that's a wonderful thing. But it's not a biblical holy day necessarily, but it does have far-reaching implications. Mothers play such an important role in each of our lives. If you had a good and godly mother... Or if you're a mother right now, may I suggest that you fill arguably one of the most, if not the most, important roles in society. By the time a child reaches 18 years of age, a mother has worked, estimates say, approximately 18,000 extra hours of work that is generated by just the fact that she has children. Those who never have children enjoy the equivalent of an extra three months per year then because they miss that 18,000 hours of child-generated work for 18 years. Mothers are teachers, disciplinarians, cleaning ladies. Mothers are nurses, doctors, psychologists, counselors, chauffeurs, and coaches. They're developers of personalities molders of vocabularies, shapers of attitudes. Some mothers are gardeners and lawnmowers, and most mothers understand that baking cookies is more important than washing windows. Mothers are soft voices saying, I love you, and mothers are a link to God, a child's first impression of God's love. A middle school science teacher was lecturing his students one day on the properties of magnets. And the next day he gave them a pop quiz. And the first question read as follows. My name begins with the letter M. It has six letters. And I pick things up. What am I? Half the kids in the classroom wrote down mother. Indeed, mothers play a very important role. There was a young, awkward boy who grew up in Southern California who was plagued by a learning disability that has been identified in more recent times as dyslexia. But with his mother's encouragement and instruction, he became a strong and capable leader. Several years later, he had reached the rank of general, and he was commanding thousands of American soldiers in war. When he found himself in North Africa, grappling with the German army, his thoughts on the battlefield turned back to his mother. It was his mother, he often told colleagues, who ingrained in him the leadership qualities that he was to become famous for. His only regret was that he had never adequately expressed 
his appreciation to her. Darling Mama, he wrote in a letter after her death, in words that pained him, you are still very near. I never showed you in life the love that I really felt, nor my admiration for your courage. Paul Harvey told the rest of this man's story when he said, The ally, the constant companion who read to him what he could not read, who first taught our nation's greatest cavalryman how to ride, the friend of his youth who recognized the first beginnings of greatness in a small boy and prepared him for a world of men, was a woman, Mrs. George Patton Sr., his mother. Indeed, mothers play a very important role. But our text reads, when my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. This is the little orphan's text. It reminds me of John 14, verse 18, where Jesus says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. The word comfortless in John 14, 18 literally means orphaned. Jesus says to his disciples, I will not abandon you to make it on your own. I will not leave you orphaned. Isn't that tender? That Jesus would not leave his disciples bereft of a parent's protection and provision. I will not leave you orphaned. There's a traditional African-American spiritual dating back to the era of slavery in colonial America that you may have heard. It depicts the anguish of slaves that were torn from their families, their homeland, and their own identities. The song first appeared in Old Plantation Hymns by William Barton. And there have been various renditions of the lyrics, but here is a pretty close copy of the lyrics. The slaves would sing, sometimes I feel like a motherless child. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child. A long ways from home. A long, long ways from home. Sometimes I wish that I could fly. Fly like a bird up in the sky. Oh, sometimes I wish that I could fly closer to my home closer to my heavenly home. Motherless children have a hard time. Motherless children have such a hard time. Motherless children have such a really hard time. A long, long ways from home. Sometimes I feel like it's closer now. Sometimes I feel like the kingdom is at hand. Sometimes I feel like the kingdom is now. But we are so far from home but we are so far from home. Indeed, many of us could find comfort in the little orphan's text. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. The fact is, families are a wonderful blessing from God. The family was God's idea in the beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, we read that God said, Let us make man in our own image after our own likeness, so God created man in his own image, male and female, created he them. Notice both the man and the woman are in the image of God. Even though the woman came after the man, God took a rib from the man to fabricate a complement that is a helper who was suitable to him. And that simply means that he couldn't make it 
on his own, that he needs her to complement, to fill out, to complete him. And it's not good, as a rule, for the man to be alone, but yet God made the woman for the man and brought her to him. The Lord performed the first marriage of Adam and Eve. And then he told them in Genesis 1:28, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And that is the idea that husbands and wives are to have children and perpetuate the uh, image of God, if you please, in offspring. And the fact is, children are a wonderful blessing from God. Psalm 113 verse 9 says that he makes the barren woman to keep house and to be a joyful mother of children. God blesses families with children. Psalm 127.3 says children are the heritage of the Lord. They're not just a tax deduction. They're a blessing from God. They're the heritage. They're your inheritance that God has given you. Children are the heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. That is, the challenge facing parents is to point them toward the bullseye to hit the target of godliness in their life. Now we know, don't we, that the parent-child relationship was not intended to be permanent. That is, the idea that a child depends totally on parents is a temporary arrangement. The goal is for that child to grow more and more independent. Isn't that right? As the parent trains and nurtures and cares for that child, you want the children to become increasingly more and more independent where they can feed themselves, tie their own shoes, put away their own clothes, finally get their own job, move to their own home, establish their own family. The husband-wife relationship is intended to be permanent. That is, it's to be until death. But the parent-child dynamic is meant to be only temporary. We know that, don't we? And it's normal for children to grow up and leave father and mother and be joined to their own mate and form a new family. That's the normal pattern. God does not intend for children to be perpetually, as a rule. I know there are afflictions and many situations that would be exceptions to the rule. But as a rule, it is God's will that children grow up and establish their own relationships and their own homes. But still, even when the child has reached independence, as many of us have, I mean, I don't call my dad every time I have a financial issue or a question. Sometimes I'll seek his counsel or his input, but I don't depend on him. Sister Lori and I have turned to each other instead of each of us turning to mom and dad, right? That's the rule. But even still, the loss of that earliest relationship in a person's life proves many times to be a psychological hurdle. I mean, the home is ground zero for your identity as a person, the foundation of your first memories and beliefs. It's where you learn to love, to trust, and to sacrifice, to cooperate, to control yourself. And most every other basic lesson for living life, it was the family unit where you learned that. Those were the first people you knew. That's the first loving attachment that you experienced. And now when you lose that, even when you're grown, to lose a father or mother for one reason or another often proves to be a psychological hurdle difficult to overcome. What a blessing it is, though, to have godly and committed parents. If you have a memory of that in your life, you say, well, my parents were not perfect. There aren't any perfect parents. I've got news for you. 
There's no perfect father. There's no perfect mother. And I know a lot of mothers on Mother's Day feel that they are failures, that they just can't keep up with everything. I mean, they do their best in one area, and then something else is out of sorts over here. And you say, I just can't seem to get it all right. And I'm telling you that none of us get it all right. And I want to encourage you today that what the Lord is looking for is your best effort. There's a verse that has comforted me so many times in the New Testament. It's this verse. It says, if there be first a willing mind, that is good intentions, we would call it, it is accepted according to what a man hath and not what he hath not. In other words, God remembers that you are but dust. He knows that we are weak and frail, and my beloved, he looks at the heart. He looks for good intentions, real effort, but none of us will ever get it perfect, right? Okay, I hope that's an encouragement to some of you this morning. Here's the thought. Although the blessing of family is wonderful and it's fulfilling and it's important and necessary, yet the fact remains the best parents are limited and frail. You see that in our text? When my father and mother forsake me. That is, father and mother have good intentions and they do give it the old college try. And for several years they are, you know, scraping by and it's chaos and it's financially difficult and it's emotionally taxing, you know. I mean, gray hair comes from having children, right? And it's the gift that keeps on giving, by the way, even after they're grown. I'll have to tell you that. <laughs> I mean, you never stop praying for them. I was going to say worrying about them, but we shouldn't worry. But you never stop praying for them, and you never stop being concerned about them, do you? The fact is that the best of parents are parents at their very best. So how may a parent forsake his or her child? Some do it emotionally. Some abandon their responsible role in an emotional sense. You know, we see that around us, don't we? We see some parents that are selfish and some that are slothful and they just don't invest the time and effort into their little ones through selfishness or laziness or through partiality. You know, that's an abdication of a parent's responsibilities. Jacob, you may remember, was partial with his 12 sons. He favored Joseph and he made him a coat of many colors so that he stood out from the rest. Was that a good thing to do as a father? Absolutely not. It created jealousy in the others. I've always told my kids, I have plenty of love to go around. And though I may be drawn to a certain personality type or temperament more so than others, yet I love them all equally and every one of them I try to give 100% of my effort. You know, a good parent won't be partial. But that's a way that a parent may abandon a child emotionally, psychologically speaking. They might abandon them by being selfish, saying, get away, kid, I'm trying to watch the news. But, Dad, I wanted to show you this picture I drew at kindergarten today. I don't have time for that. Go show your mama. Go play or something. You know, now, I understand parents have limits, too. They're just human. But yet, it's possible for a parent to send a message of unconcern, an unloving kind of attitude, or cultivate that in a child through just simple selfishness or laziness. You know, it takes hard work to be a parent. You say, well, I'm doing my job. I'm earning, I'm bringing home the bacon. I'm earning the bread for this family. I'm feeding you, aren't I? Giving you a place to live rent-free. But you know how children spell love? T-I-M-E. That's how they spell love, time. 
through actual eye contact and person-to-person communication and just tossing a ball in the front yard or want you to help me bake some cookies. You know, there are so many parents, though, in our modern world who forsake their children in a psychological way through slothfulness or selfishness, through partiality or doting on the child. That is, a parent that just says, my child can do no wrong. My child is an honor student at such and such school. (laughs) And I understand that. You know, somebody says, I've got the best child in the world. And I always want to say, wait just a minute. No, you don't. I do. Everybody thinks, but you know, let's be realistic. Every parent who's a sinner has children that are sinners, right? But you want to encourage them. You want to affirm them. But you don't want to be unrealistic and dote on that child to the point that you fail to teach and instruct and discipline that child, as many parents in the modern world have done by being just too soft. They think that's love. My beloved, biblical love is tough love. It balances toughness and tenderness. That is, it has both a masculine and a feminine, a fatherly and a motherly quality to it. True love does. It sets boundaries and limits. It doesn't say run wild like a maverick, but it says here are the parameters for behavior and conduct. And God, as the ultimate parent, has given us that grid or dynamic for child rearing. But some parents abandon their children. They forsake them emotionally. Some forsake them actually physically. We've all heard stories of runaway parents. A father who left his wife and children for a fling with the secretary. Or vice versa. We've all heard stories of things like that, haven't we? We've heard stories of uh, parents who just threw up their hands and said, I I just can't do it. And they've given over the responsibility of raising a child to somebody else. Or they're just absentee parents. They just don't have time to be at home. They're either at work or on the golf course or at the gym or whatever and they don't take the responsibility of child-rearing seriously. When my father and mother forsake me, how may a father and mother forsake a child? Psychologically, physically, morally. Some parents have forsaken their children by falling into sin, immorality. You know, the Proverbs says, a wise woman builds her house, but a foolish woman plucks it down with her hands. That is, a wise mother invests herself into her home and family. That's something she can build and construct. But a foolish woman, through her immoral actions, has the effect of plucking the home down with her hands. And some forsake their children, some parents do, socially. There's a story in John chapter 9 of the man that was born blind. Do you remember when he appeared before the Pharisees? And they asked the boy's parents, tell us, is this your son? And how is it, if it's your son, how is it that he can now see? Was he born blind? Is the story accurate? They investigate with the parents. And notice how the parents abdicated their responsibility. Instead of standing up for their child, they caved to the pressure in fear to the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees had said, if any man should confess Jesus, he's to be excommunicated from the synagogue. They would be put out of the synagogue. And these parents said, "Uh, he's of age, ask him. We know it's our son. And we know that he was born blind, but how he now can see, we know not. 
He's of age, ask him. Now, I understand that. He was of age. He was a grown man. He was an adult himself and should be able to stand on his own two feet. But you would expect your own kin or your own family to stand beside you in an hour of need, wouldn't you, ordinarily? And they forsook their son, I think, in a social sense. But, you know, forsaking a child may not necessarily be intentional at all. It may simply be the result of the inability to help. You know, our arms are only so long. Our hands are frail. We can't do everything. None of us can be God to our children, right? I think of David who wrote Psalm 27 where we took our text. When he was on the run from King Saul for about 10 years, there was a decade in his life when he was living like a fugitive. He, he couldn't call home. He couldn't communicate with his mom and dad back at home. You know, Jesse and his wife, David's godly parents. David, in a sense, was away from the reach of his mother and his father. When my mother and father forsake me, he says, and they didn't intend to uh, forsake him, but yet just the circumstances of life made it so that they couldn't do anything to help him. There may be a time as much as you depended early on on mom and dad, and as much as you love them and need them and appreciate them, there may come a time in your life when you are in a situation where mother or father cannot help you, even though they would love to if they could. And of course, the ultimate form which this text takes is what we would call the death of a parent. When my mother and my father forsake me, they may forsake them psychologically, physically, socially, they may forsake them by failing to invest the efforts to care for them, you know, to work hard, to provide a living for them. They may forsake a child morally through personal sin. They may forsake a child because their arms are just limited. They're limited. They're frail. Or a parent may forsake a child, not intentionally, but when a parent dies. You know, that's the ordinary course, that a parent reaches an age when mother, father dies before the child does. That's the ordinary course of events. And when that happens, even though they're aged and you haven't been dependent upon them for a long time, it still hurts, doesn't it? Even though you expect it and you know it's coming, it doesn't make it easy, does it? When my father, my mother forsake me through death. Here's the point of our text. Beyond the limits of a parent's love, provision, and tender care, the Lord's love and providence persists. When father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Isn't this a precious verse? It's the orphan's text. The Lord promises and pledges to compensate, to take up the slack, to step in when creature helps all fail. When every crutch that you've leaned on and depended on to keep you going in life is taken away from you, God says, then I will carry you. I will take you in. I will take you up. When father and mother's house is closed, God says, I will receive you. When their arms cannot lift me and help me anymore like they did when I was a child, then the Lord says, I will take you up then. I think of Moses' case. Moses was orphaned. Unintentionally, his parents did not abdicate their responsibilities, but the law was such that if they didn't release him and give him up, 
then he would be killed. I mean, he should have died at birth. That was the Pharaoh's edict, that all the male children of the Hebrews was to be drowned in the Nile. They were to be slain at birth. But the midwives feared God and refused to cooperate with the unjust law. And after Moses was hidden by faith for three months by his mother and his family, and while she nursed him, there came a time when the child was just too rowdy. She couldn't hide him any longer. She made an ark of bulrushes. She pitched it on the inside to make it waterproof, and she put the child within, covered the basket, and set it sail down the banks of the Nile River. Mother and father had to forsake their child just to keep it alive. But you know, when mother and father forsook him, the Lord took him up. Because at that very moment, Pharaoh's daughter came down to the riverside to bathe. And as she bathed, she spotted this little ark by the banks of the river. And she sent one of her servants over to fetch it. And she brought it to her. And as soon as she opened the lid, the babe wept. And God used the tears of a little baby to soften the heart of Pharaoh's daughter. The Lord provided for Moses. He took care of him. Moses was not slain. In fact, he was raised in the palace of the king of Egypt himself. And he would reach a point where he was next in line to ascend to Pharaoh's throne. You see, when the father and mother forsook the child Moses, the Lord took him up. I think of little Samuel. I would imagine it was hard for Hannah to give up her child when he was weaned. I don't know exactly how old he was when he was weaned, but uh, she kept him for a while. You know, Hannah was one of those barren women. God makes the barren woman to keep house and to be a joyful mother of children. We quoted that verse, Psalm 113, 9. Hannah was one of them in the Bible. God opened her womb. She couldn't conceive, but God gave her conception, and she gave birth to this child, Samuel, she named him, which means God answered my prayer, answered by God. God heard her cries. God answered her prayer. This little boy is evidence that God hears prayer. She nurses him for a while, but when he's weaned, she keeps her promise and gives him to the Lord. She takes him down to Eli, the priest's place, and he becomes an apprentice to Eli. And I'm sure she left that house. She, her heart must have been heavy, but she knew she was doing the right thing. She was keeping her vow, keeping her promise. But you know, when father and mother forsook little Samuel, the Lord took him up and came and said, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel got out of his bed that night and came to Eli. He said, did you call, sir? He said, I didn't say anything. Go back to bed. It's nighttime. I'm trying to sleep here. A few minutes later, Samuel comes back in. Did you call, sir? He says, no, I didn't say anything. I said, go back to bed. Go to sleep. You're making me old before my time. Samuel goes back in and hears the voice again, Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel comes running into Eli's room again. Did you call, sir? And Eli was beginning to figure this out. He said, this must be the Lord speaking. He said, go back in, and the next time you hear the voice, say, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. And Samuel went back, and the call came, Samuel, Samuel. He said, speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. And the Lord gave Samuel his first commission as a little boy. Gave him his first preaching message. Gave him a prophecy to take to Eli. You say, well, Eli took him up. When Hannah forsook him, Eli took him up. Eli was not the best father. Eli's children were some of the worst kids. You know, preacher's kids have a reputation sometimes. And that's because they play with the deacon's kids. 
That's right. That's what rubs off on them. The deacon's kids rub off on the preacher's kids. But Eli's kids were evil young men. They were sons of Belial. They were committing treachery in the temple. And Eli did not properly restrain them like a father should. He just let them do it, but he said, I'm just, I'm disappointed in you boys. He just sort of softly scolded them, but he didn't do anything to harness their sinful behavior. Eli wasn't the best father. When Hannah forsook Samuel, did Eli take him up? No, he assumed responsibility for him, but I'm telling you the reason Samuel grew into such a godly man is because the Lord took him up when mother and father were not able to care for him anymore. And I want to say to you this morning, my beloved, your God will not leave you orphaned. When creature helps all fail, and they will in each of our lives, mother and father, the staples of life, the things that we depend on, the things that we think are necessary to our well-being, you know, the old home place. Somebody says, now it's dilapidated, it's burned down it's been sold and i just can't keep living well my friends be thankful that it was there at that point you know one of the secrets to life is to keep moving ahead is to keep going but you say preacher i just need this this is my mom this is my dad i know they're important to us and my friends may i say your god will never leave you as little orphans however old you are when creature helps all fail the lord will step in as a father to the fatherless Psalm 68.5 says, A father of the fatherless and a judge of the widows is God in his holy habitation. God setteth the solitary in families. He says in the next verse, that is, he takes the little orphans and he takes care of them. And my friends, the Lord will be a father to the fatherless, not only the little child who's an orphan, but each one of us in our lives, he will not leave us as orphans. He will be a father to the father. The role that father filled, when father forsakes me, then the Lord will be my father. And when mother forsakes me, may I say it without sounding irreverent, then the Lord will be my mother. When father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. He's not only a father to the fatherless, he's a mother to the motherless. Isaiah 66 13 says it like this. Would you listen to this powerful verse? As one whom his mother comforteth, so will I comfort you, saith the Lord. And you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. God says, behold, I will extend peace to my children like a river. You've sang that song, haven't you? When peace like a river, here's the verse it comes from. I will extend to her peace like a river. He didn't say peace like the raging tides of the sea. I mean, those waves are not peaceful. They're powerful, but they're not peaceful. But a river, a little brook flowing through the mountains is peaceful. God says, I will extend to her peace like a river. And the glory of the Gentiles like a flowing stream. Then shall ye suck. Ye shall be borne upon her sides. And be dandled upon her knees. This is the language of a mother and a child. You'll nurse and be nourished. You will be carried under her arm. You will sit on her lap. You will be dandled upon her knees. As one whom his mother comforteth, so will I comfort you, saith the Lord. You know, this is the interesting thing. God is the ultimate father and mother. He is. God is. You say, you mean he's both? Well, listen to Genesis 1.27 again. 
So in the image of God, he created them. Male and female created he them. You know what that verse is teaching? It's teaching that God combines within himself all of the virtues of a perfect father and a perfect mother. All that is best in a noble-hearted man and all that is noblest and gracious in a pure-hearted woman, all are found in the Lord's loving heart. The fact is, you say, well, God's a father. He's masculine. Understand, God is our father. Jesus taught us to pray like that, our father. But you know, the God who made everything, there's both a tough side and there's a tender side. There's both a majestic side and there's a merciful side. You say, I'm a man. Well, you can be a tough, courageous, you can have the masculine virtues, which I love to see in menfolk. But you know, we need something else to balance the picture out. I mean, a, a woman's touch makes life whole. I'm strong. I have brute force. But we don't always have the tenderness and the affection that we need. Don't ever think that because the Bible says that females are the weaker vessel, that that is a pejorative or an insult. It's not. Weaker vessel simply means, so far as brute strength is concerned, it's not talking about intellectually. In fact, many females are superior to men intellectually. It doesn't mean the value of the person. No, they're not inferior so far as people. It doesn't mean that she's inferior so far as her strength is concerned. I mean, I don't know many men folk that could give birth to a child. Do you? The point this morning, dear friends, is to have the image of God consists of both the masculine and the feminine virtues. So when father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will step in to be father and mother. He will take me up. He will be compassionate like a father pities his children. So the Lord pities them that fear him, says Psalm 103. He's the father of compassion. We see that in the story of the prodigal son, don't we? When the prodigal son had left and spent his substance in sinful behavior, and then he came home penitently, willing to occupy a place out there with the hired hands, not asking for any special privileges, not asking to be restored to uh, his sonship, but just a father make me as one of the hired servants. When he came home with that attitude, do you remember what the father did? Instead of scolding the son, instead of speaking words of recrimination, instead of telling the son, how dare you show your face on my property after how you've embarrassed me, instead of doing that, what did the father do? He ran to meet him. He hiked up his toga, and he didn't care which neighbors were watching, and he ran at breakneck speed and threw his arms around his neck and welcomed his son home, and the son started to try to confess his sins, and the father said, bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and Put my ring on his finger and kill the fatted calf and let's rejoice and be merry for this my son, which was dead, is alive again. He was lost and is found. What a lovely scene of the penitent child of grace coming back home. And what did the hymn writer say about that parable? He says, more than the father's love, our heavenly father feels and bids his child come home. Yes, my beloved, our Father in heaven is compassionate even more than earthly fathers. And how many of us have been that prodigal son? 
How many of us have wandered from the home? How many of us, my friends, have flirted with the world and found ourselves in the hog pen, feigning to fill our belly with the husks that the swine did eat? And no man had mercy upon us, but yet the Father took us back in. Aren't you glad to see a little child of grace come home to the church after they've wandered in this world and then they walk the aisle and they come with tears of repentance and say, brethren, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight and I'm no more worthy to be called a child of grace. But you know what the church does when that happens? They say, bring forth the best robe and slay the fatted calf and let's rejoice and be merry. And you know there's more joy in heaven over one sinner that repents than over 99 just persons that need no repentance in this world. Indeed, my beloved, God is the ultimate father of compassion. He's a father who encourages and instructs. I love how the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 uses both the image of a father and a mother in his pastoral ministry to the Thessalonians. Have you ever noticed this? 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 11, he says, you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you like a father does his children, that you should walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. Paul says, I'm the pastor and I have exhorted, that word means encouraged, I've charged, that is, I've instructed and taught you, I've held your feet to the fire and told you that you need to do right like a father would speak to his children. That's tough love, isn't it? But then he also says, but we were also gentle among you like a nursing mother cherishes her children. You see a mother cradle that little one to her breast. I'm telling you, there's gentleness there. There's love there. Paul says, as your pastor, I not only occupied the role of father, charging you, encouraging you, but I occupied the role of mother. We were gentle among you like a nurse cherisheth her children, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to impart unto you not the gospel of God only, but our own souls. You know, that's a motherly virtue. That's a motherly characteristic. Not only did we display gentleness to you, but we displayed self-sacrifice. I know of no greater picture of love than the sacrifice a mother makes for a child. And that's why it's so strange when a woman abandons a child. You know, Isaiah 49, 15 says, Can a woman forsake her nursing child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Can she just walk away and forget that child? And the answer, sadly, is yes, it happens. Yea, they may forget. But I will not forget thee, saith the Lord, for I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. May I say more than a father's love he feels, more than a mother's love he feels. You know, another thing about a mother is that she spends and is willing to be spent for the sake of her child. A wise woman once told me that there is no such thing as a narcissistic mother. I mean, those two concepts are diametrically opposite. The narcissist who's all in it for number one, promoting myself. Somebody says, I want everybody to know what a great mother I am. That's the very opposite of the self-sacrificing kind of commitment that a mother has for her child. She's just interested in that child's well-being, right? She lives for that child. You know, the ultimate expression of this is the cross. When our Lord sacrificed himself to save his children, rebel sinners like us, though we didn't deserve it. Heard a story once about a prairie fire 
and in the aftermath of the blackened ground, as the officials and authorities were searching the property, they found a mother bird, a mother hen, who was charred to a crisp, had died in the fire. And when they lifted the mother hen out from under the wings, ran a whole bunch of little fledglings that had been protected from the flames by the mother's wings. May I say that's what happened at the cross, my friends, when the Lord took us under his wing and he took the punishment due to us that we might be protected forever when the father and mothers of our lives forsake us, then the Lord will take us up. No matter how good of a father you had, how good of a mother you had, I'm telling you, the Lord's better. And you say, I need my father and I need my mother. Well, you've got a heavenly father and one who comforts us like a mother comforts her children, who promises to carry us to old age, who gave birth to us, as Isaiah 46 verse 3 says, Yea, I have borne thee, and I have carried thee, and even to whore hairs will I carry you. I will keep taking care of you. My beloved, when you feel like a motherless child, sometimes I do. Sometimes I feel like I'm a long, long ways from home. This world is an impersonal Cruel place in many respects. But if you're here this morning and you feel like a motherless child, you say, my parents were not perfect. They let me down. My father, my mother, they did not live up to their billing. I understand, but here's your promise. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Yeah.